Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. It is the offseason. Now for the Seahawks, we just watched the divisional round games wrap up over this weekend, and we're going to see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Green Bay Packers take on each other for the NFC Championship. But we're not here to talk about that today. I am talking with John P. Gilbert of Field Goals. We're taking a look, previewing this offseason, talking about some of the offseason questions for the Seahawks. John, appreciate you coming back on the show. Hey, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's uh, it's obviously a little bit tough. This is the first weekend where football has been on. Uh, the, we haven't been able to watch the Seahawks. And uh, so I'm just checking in with you, man. How, how are you doing now? I am good. You know, I am. I know a lot of people know what I do for work. So my busy season is the fall and in December. And so now I'm coming into a part of the year where I'm actually able to sleep a full night, um, <laughs> you know, and not have a whole lot of responsibilities immediately upon waking up. So it's a, it's been good, except for the fact that there was no Seahawks football to watch. So, yes, that, that was the downside. And we we have had a busy week, though, of Seahawks news, because, you know, whenever the season ends, it, it seems like we get this flurry of of whatever types of actions, whether or not, you know, it's just some of those minor things like futures contracts and those sorts of things or just, you know, a week of reacting following a tough loss. So now we're getting through that. Now we're trying to now we're getting into the part of the season where we start to maybe speculate a little bit of, about where the team could go. But let's start off with some of the news from this past week with Brian Schottenheimer getting fired. I, I know it's not a huge surprise, but when you look at the way the season went, I, I mean, if you would have asked us at the middle of the season, if Schottenheimer would be the one coordinator to be let go from the Seahawks team, obviously it would be Ken Norton Jr. That would have been everybody's answer. Instead, <laughs> at the end of the season, it's Brian Schottenheimer. No, absolutely. You know, and I think and it even was even, you know, there were some people who were hoping for it. There were some people who were, you know, thought they saw it coming, you know, discussing it on Sunday. And then on Monday morning, you know, Pete's like, nope, Brian's going to be back. And then Tuesday, nope, <laughs> Brian's not going to be back. So it's, you know, it was just it was a busy news week on top of that with everything else going on. Um, you know, so it was it had certainly been interesting. There's certainly been some interesting names leaked out there uh, that the team, the Seahawks have talked to regarding the open position. And it's been a whole lot more active than I had anticipated the first week of the offseason being. Yeah, and you did the article up at fieldgoals.com on the report that had Anthony Lynn linked to the Seahawks that having discussions there we saw discussions with Doug Peterson too it it almost feels like the these coaches that are being let go from their job it, it's almost I don't know like when you hear John Schneider is is keeping his options open with everyone with regard to players it almost seems like Pete Carroll is, is just checking in with all these offensive coaches to to maybe see where they're at to see if they may want to be a coordinator no, and I think, you know, it's an interesting piece to look at is that as former head coaches somewhere else, they had contracts, they were fired from those contracts, coaching contracts are fully guaranteed. So if they had, con you know, if Doug Peterson had a contract with the Eagles, and we know he had a contract for 2021 with the Eagles, well, it's, you know, it's guaranteed subject to offsets. The Seahawks aren't going to pay him more to be their offensive coordinator than he would have made as the head coach of the Eagles which means the Seahawks would be getting him for basically free when it comes to a coaching salary. Same thing with Anthony Lynn. It's, it's a situation where it makes you wonder, you, you know, I look at the, 
what's going on with the Seahawks right now. And I'm not saying they're going broke. They're obviously not. But Vulcan is basically, if you want to look at it, a holding company, a venture capital company, that private equity, whatever you want to call it, that that has a, a whole host of businesses that it operates. And obviously, the economy is not exactly booming uh, across the world with everything that's gone on and all the shutdowns and all the you know, the impact from COVID over the past year. And it does make me wonder, at least question, and I'm not saying doom and gloom, you know, the Seahawks are going bankrupt by any means, <laughs> but it does make me wonder when you look at it and you say, okay, well, the run game coordinator left to go to, you know, coaching the college game. We've got, um, you know, Dave Canales is interviewing for an offensive coordinator position with another team. We've got to, you know, defensive line coach Clint Hurt is interviewing for different positions, you know, in college. And it makes you at least say, okay, you know, there seems to be a little bit more attrition, a little bit more change, a little bit more turnover than it seems like there has been in years past, despite the fact that the team has done, you know, they did better this year. So you wouldn't expect as much in terms of, I mean, if if coaches are obviously going to leave when they get promotion opportunities, but it seems like there's a little bit extra this year almost like there's been the team has been pushing it or inviting them to to interview elsewhere because they they're not going to get the the team is not going to get as much in terms of revenue from league revenue sharing this year and again not to say that they're going broke or anything i mean they're obviously not but no, it's, well obviously not because they just you know gave Pete Carroll an extension they just paid John Schneider and you have to expect that that's going to be a a pretty good amount and i know people would say well there's no salary cap on those positions but you know there is an internal cap on how much they can pay those positions. Exactly. And especially, you know, if things are going on with Vulcan and Vulcan's tightening the belt with some of their operating companies and the Seahawks are tightening their belt just for, okay, we know we don't know exactly how tight 2021 is going to be. We just know that the revenue we get from the league is going to be lower than it normally is because there were no fans in stands this year in the majority of stadiums across the league. You know, let's just trim some fat for a year or two years, however long. And then once things come back, once things are back to normal, then we're fine. Or once new TV contracts come in, but it's just one of those things that has come up. And, it, you know, as we're, as we're just sitting here, I don't know if you've seen this, but on speaking of coordinator news, uh, Rams defensive coordinator, Brandon Staley has been hired as the chargers head coach. So at least for Seahawks fans, we don't have to face him next year. <laughs> Well, uh, Wade Phillips was looking to come out of retirement, so maybe maybe we'll see if he wants to go back to his old job. We'll see Wade back again. I mean, (laughs) I was surprised that Wade sat out this year, but, you know, yes, it is what it is. Well, that is definitely interesting news. Good for him. He he can stay at his regular house. He doesn't even have to move anywhere and he gets a head coaching gig. So uh, good for him. And I don't even know if he has to move offices. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, some division rival news there. And, uh, you know, while we're talking salary cap, why don't we move on to some of the players' salary cap? Because another article that you wrote, it was uh, why Seahawks shouldn't expect a flood of inexpensive free agents this offseason. And and so I'm kind of curious of why that is. Do you think that, because a lot of people are saying, well, with the lower salary cap, that could increase the the number of, you know, kind of bargain bin free agents this offseason that maybe Seattle can go out and get? There will be some, and don't get me wrong, there will be players who are released across the league. But I think as teams look at their cap situations and as they look at the players they have on their roster, the the key players, the players that they want to keep around, they're going to figure out how to do it. Whether it's converting, 
base salary to signing bonus, whether it's restructuring contracts, whether it's creating dummy years on the end of contracts, just like we saw the Cowboys do for a long time, just like we saw the Washington do for several years after the new CBA was put in place 10 years ago when they were having cap issues. Teams like the Saints, the Saints are coming into this at next season. They're predicted to be a hundred million almost over the cap once they fill out their roster. Wow. Once you get Drew Brees out of the equation, once you take care of restructuring a couple of players, they're really only going to need to to come up with 40 or $50 million in cap space probably, which is a number that they can do solely through restructuring. Now, that's not to say they will focus solely on restructurings. If they can trade someone or if they can free up cap space another way, then I'm sure they will. But I think a lot of teams will look at this as a one, maybe a two-year blip in terms of the cap. So if you can defer the cap hit from 2021 to 2022 or 2023 – once revenues rebound, once TV, new TV contracts come into play, then it's a situation where, okay, we've got to bite the bullet. We'll get through it. If we can kick the can down the road next year, there are multiple factors coming in that should allow us to you know, absorb the hit in future seasons. And it's, it's just going to be a situation where I feel like just like, almost like with pass rushers last year, you know, it's, Seahawks fans were excited. There were so many big name pass rushers going to hit the market. And then they all boom, 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 got tagged. And it was the pass rushing market on, you know, the pass rushers on the free agent market where the big names were kind of clowny. I mean, it was, they've just never developed. Mm -hmm. And with, I think it'll be similar, you know, where there will be teams will come up with ways to keep the players they want to keep with the expectation that, that they will, be able to absorb the hit better in the next year or two, because these are, these should be short-term factors that are impacting the cap for the season. Now that said, if that proves to be the case and teams do enter free agency with that mindset, you know, teams will, it's, it's not difficult to set up contracts that have a small first year cap hit that pay significantly more we through creative contracts, whether it's void years at the end of deals, whether it's dummy years, you know, teams like the Saints, team like the Cardinals, teams like the Eagles have done that, you know, significantly in recent seasons. And I think we'll see a lot of, you know, teams, it'll be announced as a one year deal. But when you look at the salary cap impact of a salary cap details of a deal, you know, you give someone a one year, six million dollar deal. If you set it up properly, you know, you can give a veteran a, a one-year $6 million deal that's got a, a cap hit of $2 million up front. It is not, hmm. you know, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of rocket scientist, you know, brain surgeon math to do that kind of thing. And I think, it, you know, while the Seahawks have shied away from that in the past, I'm guessing that is what we will see from a lot of teams trying to get aggressive. And I think, you know, free agents who might be bargains in the past – who who fans hoped would be bargains, you know, aren't going to be signing for veteran minimum. Well, I think Seahawks fans are hopeful that a lot of players will be signing veteran minimum when they look at the Seahawks cap space at overthecap.com. You know, five million is not a lot to work with considering the number of offseason free agents. And John, I want to talk to you about what that could mean for the team, especially with Chris Carson, Ethan Posick and Shaquille Griffin, all free agents coming off their rookie deals. And any one of those contracts could take up that full amount of cap space. So let's talk about that coming up next.
John Gilbert, contributor at Field Goals, joining the show, and we're talking salary cap and what moves the Seahawks could make in the offseason. You pointed out how the New Orleans Saints are nearly $100 million over the cap, and so the Seahawks are relatively in much better space by being $5 million under. But that's still not enough to make a lot of the offseason moves they need to make to you know, just fill out the roster. So what can we expect, especially with some of the veteran players on the team, you know, for them to create enough space to have the kind of offseason where they can remain competitive next season? I think the biggest thing for the Seahawks will be that they have, you know, they can create a good amount of cap space if they need to with Russ between Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. They can convert base salary to signing bonus, free up some space, eat up some future year cap, but they can free up the, the necessary 2021 space to do what they need to do. That said, they also have, um, you know, they have guys, whether it's Dwayne Brown, whether it's Tyler Lockett, whether it's Jerron Reed, Quandre Diggs, as well as Jamal Adams and Carlos Dunlap have contracts that are you know, ripe for restructuring or extension, you know, and you look at it, you start talking about someone like Dwayne Brown, you say, my God, you know, Dwayne is not a young guy, you know, do you really want to extend him? Well, here's the thing. It's kind of a, you know, the flow chart question to ask is, do we see Dwayne Brown as our week one starter at left tackle? And if the Seahawks answer that question, yes, then in effect, he's going to be, you know, he's going to be on the roster. You know, he's going to be in camp day one, if he's in training camp day one and he's going to be on the roster week one, then basically his 13.35 million 2021 cap hit is not going anywhere. He's it's think about it as guaranteed. And if that is guaranteed his 10 million base salary is basically guaranteed. Well, if you're the Seahawks and you need some money, some cap space freed up. If you're going to pay Dwayne Brown, you say, Hey, Dwayne, look, you're set for a $10 million base salary this year. How about this? Why don't we announce a three-year extension or a two-year extension or whatever it is? We give you, instead of a a $10 million base, you're going to get a $2 million base. And then we're going to give you an $8 million signing bonus. And then we're going to guarantee you a two, we'll give you a whatever it is, a $10 million base salary next year. And we'll guarantee you $2 million of that. As long as you don't retire, you get that guaranteed. If you do retire, you don't get it. Then all of a sudden, Dwayne Brown gets to announce his contract extension. He gets $2 million extra guaranteed on his contract. He's got some injury guarantees. You know, if, God forbid, some kind of serious injury were to end his season this year and takes him into next year and he can't play. And then you're for a guy like Brown, you're sitting there saying, okay, well, maybe I'm going to come back. Maybe I'm not. For the Seahawks, it basically says, well, if you do come back, you're going to play for us and you'll be making, you know, a reasonable rate for a quality player at your position. At the same time, it lowers his cap hit from, you know, $13.5 million basically in 2021 by several million dollars because the $8 million signing bonus gets broken up into three parts. And I'm not going to go through all the math on that because it's boring and nobody cares, but it basically frees up $5 million in cap space this season. Yeah, the takeaway is they could do that with Brown. They could do it with guys like Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson. And, and so they were they would have enough options there at least to to be able to restructure guys and and so when when people go and see that five million dollar number, I think the point is is that it's not really a solid number, right? And it's and it's not just a solid number, you know. There, it's you've got guys like Dunlap who you can renegotiate and extend 
it, it's the exact same equation for him. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, he's got a $10.1 million base. Do we extend him, pay him a couple more million dollars, give him a couple more million in guarantees than he would have and reduce his cap hit this year to free up space for other signings. The same thing, you know, like I said, with Tyler Lockett, same thing with Jamal Adams. If the team decides that they want to keep him around, which I'm guessing they will after they spent two first round picks to bring him into the house. So with some of these other moves that you would make, it would actually free up cap space. But the way that Adams contract is, I suppose his $10 million base, they, they could find a way to keep it at that and then push everything off to future years. Adams, his base, I mean, he doesn't have a signing bonus. So it, whatever Adams, any kind of extension Adams would sign, say he gets a $10 million signing bonus, say he gets a $12 million signing bonus. If it's over a four or five year contract, and 2021 is he's not it, it he's still under the rookie contract then you're looking at a situation where you give you give Jamal Adams a 20 million dollar signing bonus on top of a million dollar base salary his 2020 cap hit drops it gets or 2021 excuse me gets cut in half and it, I mean, it goes from 9.86 million down to down to a little over 5 million and so it's you know, between him and between Dunlap the team has the ability it's, – it's about $5 million per big-name player like this that they have the ability to create without even – you know, without over-leveraging themselves going forward as long as they don't get crazy. You know, if they get crazy, well, then, you know, well, good luck. So yeah, you, you can't add too many years to the end of Dwayne Brown's deal or even Carlos Dunlap because, yeah, they're, they're getting up there in their 30s. <laughs> yeah, they are not yeah, – they're not spring chickens, so – well, it does bring me to the question of guys who are on the team coming off their rookie contracts who could be looking to stay in Seattle. And there's three big names in particular. And I'm kind of curious to what you think about these three guys, because one of them running back Chris Carson, you got your center, Ethan Posick, and then you got cornerback Shaquille Griffin. And which one of these is more likely, do you think, to stay with the team? You know, if you'd asked me this two weeks ago, I probably would have guessed Griffin. If you're asking me right now, based on the people they've looked at and the names that have been rumored with the Seahawks in terms of the offensive coordinators and Pete's statement that he wants to run the ball more and run the ball more effectively, it does absolutely make me think that either Carson or Posit could come back. Um, you know, I would if you'd asked me, a week or two ago, you know, the weather, I thought we'd have a new starting center in 2021. I would have said, absolutely. We bring in a, an offensive coordinator you know, like Anthony Lynn or like Doug Peterson, who both played in the zone blocking offenses in the West Coast offense, in particular, Anthony Lynn, who was wide zone under Alex Gibbs for Denver in the 90s. Gibbs, of course, was Tom Cable's mentor in Atlanta. Um, running the type of scheme that the Seahawks did five, six years ago under Cable and Bevel. It certainly makes me say, you know, if these are the type of coaches that we're looking at, are we going to go back to a more wide zone scheme like we see with San Francisco, like we see with the Rams? And is that, you know, could that mean that we would, you know, switch up uh, what type of offensive lineman we're looking for? Because, Posick isn't fantastic in what Solari looks for. Solari wants big maulers. He wants the massive guys who are just, you know, brute strength. And that is not Posick. Posick is ideal for his own blocking scheme. And it makes me wonder if, you know, okay, are we, are we going to be tweaking some things? 
in in 2021 or are we going to be are we is the run game going to stay a lot similar to how it has been the past couple of years well so. they do have that flexibility right because obviously i i think that we can all see that mikey potty's probably going to retire i think dwayne brown still has enough athleticism and, and really at left tackle i i, I mean uh, well, shoot, he's the best offensive lineman on the team, so we don't even need to worry That's about him. That's what I was just going to say. Like, well, I mean, you know, if, if if he's healthy and the doctors clear him and his knee allows him to walk, you you run him out yeah. there. Like, you know. And then you, you got an athlete I'm like good. Brandon Shell, who's who's shown out pretty well this past season. He'll be back next year. And then, obviously, you, you've got your, you know, right guard squared away with Damian Lewis. So they do have some flexibility now going into the offseason with the offensive line. No, they do. And, you know, and I know it's it could be a big offseason and big questions. You know, you always want that continuity. Pete always talks about the continuity on the offensive line. It seems like every time, every year, this time of year, as soon as the season ends, okay, we've got some questions. You know, but you could be looking at a couple of different, you know, a couple new starters needing a couple new starters on the on the inside of the line. I don't think anybody is going to miss you, Potty. Simmons, you maybe he develops in a fourth season. Maybe he doesn't. We'll see. The one big question is what happens with COVID? Will there be opt-outs again in 2021? Because you've got Chance Warmack, who they signed on a minimum deal to right. to start there, you know, or compete, excuse me, at guard. And, you know, he was fantastic at times earlier in his career until injuries sapped things. And it's been a few years since he set foot on the field. But, you know, I mean... We all saw what Pete Carroll did with Big Mike, Big Mike Williams back in 2010 and 2011. You know, maybe maybe Warmax got something in the tank and maybe he doesn't, you know, but it's it's another name that you can throw into the, the competition there at left guard. And at least they've got that up their sleeve for 2021. And then center is kind of, you know, we'll see if they go out and sign another BJ Finney or if they roll with Fuller and the draft pick or what they do. Uh, but it's certainly going to be interesting. I think, like I think, like you said, you've got sixty percent of the line, and that barring injury, you know who's going to be there. And in today's NFL, that's not a bad place to start off the off season. I want to go back to these three names. Out of the three players, I, I guess it makes sense that Shaquille Griffin would probably be the one to command the most money in terms of free agency. Uh, do you see it any different? Of the three, I think Griffin commands the most money. The one thing I could see differently, the one reason I could see if if a team felt like, you know, oh, you know, Polsik was a he's a former second round center, played well at times in Seattle, was a mismatch, you know, was a misfit for the system that they installed after they drafted him. You know, I could see a team not mega money and he's not getting all pro money at center, but I could see a situation where if he signs a contract bigger than many fans expect and then Shaquille I could see if he negotiates with the team and says, look, I'm I'm interested in, you know, more than happy to sign with you. I'll play for you. But I want you to sign my brother, too, much like he did in college, where he, you know, he turned down scholarship offers from colleges that did not offer Shaquem a, a, a scholarship. I certainly think I'm not saying I think it's going to happen, but I think it's certainly a possibility that he would say, look, I will, you know, I'm going to sign here and I will sign for these numbers if you sign my brother and putting it together as a package deal like that, it could reduce his, his contract demand. So I could see a situation. I don't think that happens. I think Shaquille, you know, signs the biggest contract makes the most annual, you know, gets the biggest APY, whatever you want to call it in terms of contract of those three would love for all three of them to come back to Seattle, but it, it is what it is. And I think, you know, I would guess that two of the three have played their last downs for the Seahawks. 
Yeah, and so if you had to pick the two that that is, who would it be? I think Carson comes back. I you know okay. I think I, I think Pete wants him back. I think they like his running style. Whether they you know whether it's a franchise tag, transition tag, or whether they just let him test his market and then match whatever he finds out there. Because as much as you know, we all know what the running back market is right now. Much as we love what he's done on the field, I don't think he's going to get. He's not going to get a mega contract in free agency, I don't believe. And I think the devil you know versus the devil you don't, I don't think he'd have a problem coming back to Seattle if Seattle offered to match whatever contract he gets on the open market or even just signs an extension sometime in the coming months with some more guaranteed money than he's made at any point in his career. So it would fit the Seahawks to find some way to reward a guy who's, you know, played his rookie contract all through his time in Seattle and then. You know, because they tend to do that and I could see him do it with Carson, but I, I don't see. Well, I don't see either Griffin or Carson if they stay getting top of the market money, though. No, and I agree with you 100 percent on that. I think I, I think they would be happy to have either one of them back. But I think it's a situation where if they feel that they are the top tier elite talent that they've made sure that they've extended in the past. You know, they, they were not letting Earl Thomas get away when his rookie contract was up. They were not letting Richard Sherman leave. You know, the, the guys who were, you know, they had the guys who were absolutely crucial, whether it was, you know, Doug Baldwin, whether it was Tyler Lockett, you know, all of those guys were extended after their third year, you know, the players that we've seen reach that fourth year, play through that fourth year and then get extended. That was Jermaine curse. That was Jeremy lane. That was, that was guys who, okay, go, go see what your market is. Let us know what you find. And if you find something that we're happy to match, we'll match it. But you know, the, the guys that they have, you know, the only player I really, really recall right off the top of my head of them letting hit free agency and then extending him it was Michael Bennett, who, of course, went out, found a contract with the Bears, and then this let the Seah- gave the Seahawks the opportunity to match, and they happily matched. And then he spent the next three years or whatever it was complaining about the contract he had just signed. So, <laughs> well, which, it, which is fine. Yeah, it's it's his right to do that. So. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's if complaining a little bit in the off season gets you a little bit more money, then you know that's what you're going to do. Exactly. The you know while we're on defensive line for the Seahawks, it kind of takes us to restricted free agent Puna Ford. You know he's probably the one where they have a decision to make. I, I think it's an easy decision in terms of if you're going to leave him on his RFA tender. I, I think you have to tender him at the first round level. I think even at the second round, it it could make it easy for a team to say, yeah, we want Puna Ford. May, and and maybe there is a question there of whether or not second round or first round would be the way to go to him. Do you think that they give him a contract? Do you think that he plays under the restricted free agent tender in 2021? I I think they tender him on the second round level. And then I think, you know, they come sit down at the table, figure out what's what and work out a, a deal where where he's able to stay with Seattle. You know, I don't think it'll be a blockbuster contract, but I I wouldn't be surprised to see him sign a two or three year extension beyond the you know the restricted free agent tender you know but similar to how it's what they did with Doug Baldwin um you know they didn't do it with uh Jermaine Curse but I think you know I'm not saying Puna's on the level that Doug Baldwin was in terms of where you know performance level at for what he does at their position 
but I think he's, you know, he plays a key role. Like I said, they're not going to break the bank. They're not going to you know, roll out, you know, the Brinks truck for him, but I think they'll do what they need to do to keep him around as long as his demands are reasonable. You know, he's, he's shown year in year out what he can do, you know, what he brings to the field, what he brings to the team. And it's, you know, I just, I think Pete likes him. Pete and John are going to be here for a while. I don't think, I don't think they're going to let him get away. He's John Gilbert of Field Goals. Follow him on Twitter at John P. Gilbert NFL. Check out his work up at fieldgoals.com. Another name to add to that list of potential offensive coordinators is Adam Gase. And that's not very exciting. But I am excited about looking at the comment section of your article there to see if I'm on the same page as everyone else. And also be sure and check out the next episode of the Seahawkers podcast. It'll be out on Wednesday this week. We'll be covering Pete Carroll's end-of-year press conference and what his comments mean for the outlook of the Seahawks coming up in 2021. So thanks once again to John. We talked about the players coming off their rookie deals, but we have yet to discuss veterans as well. So we're going to continue this conversation later this week by talking about the team's top free agents on both offense and defense. Stay tuned for that. If you're not subscribed, go to sbnation.com slash podcasts and subscribe to the show to get it in your podcast feed whenever there's a new episode. And so until then, go Hawks. Hawks.